0: That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let's pray together. Father, we are so blessed to be called your children. You've held nothing back from us, Lord. And Lord, we are so thankful to be your disciples. We want to be fashioned to be made more like you. We yield our hearts now to your word. Speak to us. We want to hear from you. We want to be good stewards of your word by not just hearing it, but to be doers of your word. So help us to do that by your grace and by your power. We thank you for the privilege of revelation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Still dealing with our worship time. You don't have to get up here after that. I do. (laughs) So bear with me. Last week we saw, as we began chapter 5, the writer just make an amazing case for Jesus being a better high priest. And we were told that he's he's a better high priest because he didn't have to offer a sacrifice first for himself, as every other high priest had to do for their own sins. No other high priest could ever just walk into the Holy of Holies and offer that sacrifice without having first offered a sacrifice for his sins, and Christ never had to do that. He didn't have to perform an offering or do an offering before he got on that cross. He was sinless. And anticipating the objection that Jesus couldn't be high priest because he was from the the wrong line, being from the line of Judah versus the the line of Levi. Every high priest had to be from that tribe. The writer throws them a curveball, as we saw last week, by telling them that Jesus' priesthood was not from the Aaronic order, but from the order of Melchizedek. And that priestly order, as we'll see in chapter 7, predates the order of the Aaronic order that came through Moses, how Moses instituted that. So Melchizedek's priesthood predates that whole Aaronic priesthood, and then we saw that very clearly. And that priesthood, the, the Melchizedek priesthood, is a priesthood where Melchizedek was both a king and a priest, something that the Aaronic priesthood could not deliver. <laughs> None of those priests could ever be king, and a king of Israel, could never be a priest. I believe that David really wanted to be a priest. <laughs> he was a worshiper, wrote many of the Psalms, and wanted to be a priest, but he couldn't. And so we saw, as we looked at Psalm 110, going through these verses, we saw that, that this priest, this high priest in Jesus, that the Father said to him, your priesthood shall be forever, yet another way that Jesus is a better high priest. And lastly, in verses 7 and 8, we saw the necessity of our high priest being a suffering high priest. And I want us to look quickly at those verses that we looked at last week in verses 7 and 8. In verse 7, he said, "'Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son,' Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus had to learn obedience, and he had to learn it a certain way. And that way that the Father had prescribed for him was to learn it through suffering. We can all relate to suffering in some, in some way. And knowing that our high priest suffered and had to learn obedience through suffering helps us when we're suffering to accept that those things are something that God wants to use in our lives for our good and that it will produce brokenness. It'll produce us having a habit of being yielded over to him to allow him to work in our lives as he would want to. Now today he's gonna to hit another button in that with them and, and he's really good by the spirit to, to deal with these things as we have need. And and he gets into some very, very important things related to Melchizedek, and we're just gonna read those those verses, but he has to kind of stop because the deepness of the subject of Melchizedek causes the writer to think about their ability to receive that kind of content. It makes him think that I can only say so much to these believers, because there's issues, there there's there's a lack of spiritual depth, and he's concerned that they couldn't receive a lot of what he had to say. Our ability to receive revelation affects many things. A lot of us know that from experience. And, and our ability and our capacity to receive revelation has huge implications on our lives, which we'll get into. And it begins in verse 9, finishing up his section on Melchizedek, which brings them to this idea that they can't receive what he has to say. And he says in verse nine, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, having been perfected there means this mission that that the Lord Jesus accomplished had been completed. Jesus is already perfect in the sense of how we think of perfection But his mission hadn't been completed, and part of that mission included being in this order of Melchizedek and suffering so that he could learn obedience. Learning obedience through suffering is something that God treasures in our lives. As difficult as it can be for us when we're going through it, and he has total empathy and compassion for us as we're going through those things, it's important for him to accomplish those things in our life. And Jesus wasn't He was still a part of that process. He had to learn those things. And thus, we're told that he became the author of eternal salvation and all those who obey him. Now, he doesn't talk about a salvation of works when he says obey him there at the end of verse 9. He's talking about those that obey the gospel in the sense of believing the gospel. That's very important for us to see because he doesn't save us, as we know, by good works. Now, in verse 11, he says, of whom, now that's speaking of Melchizedek, we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. This writer by the Spirit has so much he wants to share about Melchizedek and all these amazing themes that he has on his heart, but he's limited. God has so much to say uh, to our lives at times, but he's limited in a sense because we don't have the, the right heart or the right capacity to, to receive it. You ever speak to someone that, that their first language is not your first language? It may be at your, you know, your doctor. <laughs> you know, sometimes we can't understand the doctor. I'm like, can you repeat that? Uh, you know, I don't understand. And or, or you're in a situation where, you know, somebody uh, doesn't understand because of, whatever circumstances they've gone through in life and and you want to use a certain vernacular but you can't you're limited because of something on their end and so you're it limits what you want to say to them and it actually makes communication so much more difficult that's kind of what he's getting at the writer is wanting to say things but he can't because of something on his end absolutely not it's on the end of the people, these Christians here, these Jewish believers who can't receive. It wasn't that, they, that this writer was an inadequate teacher or it wasn't something related to his end, although I'm sure this writer had flaws and had shortcomings as we all do. It was something related to their, their hearts and where their hearts were at this time that had nothing to do with language or education or any of those things it had something to do with their capacity to receive. It goes so much deeper than those other things. Their capacity to receive revelation, and he tells us there in the verse that it was because they had become dull of hearing. What is dull of hearing? What does that mean? The word dull there means sluggish. It means something that doesn't function well. You ever had a sluggish car? My first car was a Honda CRX, and it was quite a car. Uh, it went through a lot. It had gone through a lot before I got it. It was my very first one. I'd saved up, made these little payments to to a person that was selling it to me, selling it to me. And and there were times where that thing just could not run. For I mean, no matter what I did, I'm putting in additives to the fuel system. I'm trying to do whatever I can, and that thing just mm, 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 just just could not get going at times and and that's kind of the picture here the sluggish car or the sluggish or you feel sluggish in the morning and I think we all can relate to that where you're just it's hard to get going it's just hard to get those wheels turning in your mind in your heart in your, your physical frame just can't get going the writer is telling these Jewish believers that they've become spiritually sluggish in their ability to receive revelation and it's affected many things, many of which they have no clue about. They have no idea the, the effect that their spiritual dullness is having on their, on their lives. It's more than they could possibly realize. The ability to receive revelation from God is a measure of spiritual maturity. I'll say it again because I messed it up. I'll say it again the ability to receive revelation is a measure of spiritual maturity think of a radio now some of you youth that are here it's hard for you to imagine a little sometimes what a radio could be sometimes we don't see that because we have iPods and we have all these things that aren't the same as us older people us old fogies I don't you don't know what that word means either so I'm still not really communicating but there's a thing called a radio and you turn it on, and there's, there's these signals that come. And if the radio isn't working properly, if you're not hearing a really good reception, how many of us get upset with the airwaves? We don't blame the airwaves. Usually, we could live in a bad spot or whatever, but usually it's the fault of the radio, the antenna or something internal or something going on with it. And we blame the radio. And I think that's a great picture because it's the same with us. Sometimes we don't get good reception, but we can blame the airwaves, so to speak. We can blame the person that's up there. We can blame the book of the Bible. <laughs> we could say, I don't really get much from that. And, or or you know, what this person has to say to me because they're, you know, they're, they're using a certain spiritual gift and it just doesn't resonate with me. And, and, and a lot of those things have to do with us, It says way more about us, how we receive revelation, than it ever does the revelation itself. One of the ways that I've seen this uh, in the body of Christ is through how people receive godly counsel. Sometimes we don't realize that God uses people in our lives, whether they're leaders or not, to speak to us. One One of my seven kind of mentors that's been in my life has said to me at one point, No matter what someone is saying to you, no matter what motivation they have for saying it, ask God, Lord, are you trying to say something to me through what this person is saying? Whether they ever mean it for good or not. And God can take the littlest thing and he can use that and say something entirely different from what they were intending and we can hear him speak by his spirit. But we have to have the right frequency Tuned in, we have to be the kind of a radio that's actually working in the sense of our receivers, so to speak. So, we're told in many different places in Scripture that we need to be able to receive revelation. Well, we have to be able to receive what what God wants to say to us. And we're in situations at times. People have a message for us. They have something that's on our heart. They don't even necessarily think that it's from God. And they're saying, you know, I just want to tell you something. We need to listen. We need to listen, even if they have bad motivation. Lord, are you wanting to use this to speak to me? And we miss, I can't tell you, especially as a pastor, how many times people have missed God's best for their life because they're not tuned in to what, how God wants to speak because he speaks so many different ways. It's not just through the word of God, although obviously that's the main way that he speaks to us. So many different ways God has in his kind of tool chest, so to speak, to to get across to us. But we can become dull in hearing. Remember in in the book of Revelation, and we'll get there in the coming months, there are times where we see the Lord Jesus say, He who has uh, has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we know he's not talking about physical hearing. He's talking about spiritual hearing, spiritual perception, and all of that depends on the person that's being spoken to. Remember the parable of the soils. The Lord Jesus gave gave this amazing parable, and later when he explained explained the parable to the disciples, he said, if you don't understand this parable, you can't understand any of the parables. It's the key to everything. And he was talking about our hearts and how the soils of our hearts are different kinds of soils. And the message, and it's always referring to the word of God in that that whole passage, the message is the word of God that's being sown into our hearts. And in that parable, you can see that the goal, as far as God's concerned, is fruitfulness, is producing a crop of righteousness through that person's life. But what short circuits that is the soil in which the seed is planted. And he's saying nothing wrong with the seed. There's nothing wrong with that seed. The seed is 100% just exactly what it needs to be. The word of God, there's nothing wrong with the word of God. If we have problems with the word of God, we have problems. Our hearts have problems. And so that's why he says we have to have the right kind of heart. And notice in verse also in verse 11, he says, you have become dull in hearing. That's interesting and that's noteworthy. Because these Jewish believers weren't always this way. They weren't always dull in their hearing. They'd become that way over time. In verse 12, we're not going to get there just yet, but he says someone has to tell you again the elementary principles. They had it's not like as if they didn't have the right kind of heart. They they had the right kind of heart at some point. But then their perception and the dullness of their hearing started coming into, into uh, uh, effect in their lives. And, that, and so we were told earlier that they had been drifting. And then we were told earlier, before, or later than that, at a previous time, that they had not believed God's word, that they were not believing what God said. And the writer compared their situation related to what they were believing about God and the gospel and so forth, to their ancestors in the wilderness who denied God's word and did not believe God's word, not, did not mix what God said with faith, and thus they experienced the consequences. So they had, they had a heart problem. That's, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road with them. One of the hardest things for us to hear from other people is that we have a heart problem. Because we say, how do you know? You don't know my heart, but there are things in Scripture that says we can know our hearts by what comes out of our mouth. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. John, and we'll get to it when we get to 1 John, he says, this is how we know who the children of of God are. Well, those that love, you know, their brother. And so there are things that we can know that there's fruit that that people can assess related to our lives and it all shows where our hearts are at. And so we have to be very, very sensitive to that and teachable. Most of us, when we first come to know the Lord, are anything but uh, the kind of people that have dullness in our hearts for the Lord. We're very motivated. We're very perceptive. I remember as a new Christian, Lord, tell me to go right. Tell me to go left. This intersection or that intersection? You want me to open the door for this person or not? Do you want me? I mean, I'm trying to, I'm tracking. I'm, I'm, Lord, I'm open. Whatever you want. I'm amazed that you even want to speak to me whatsoever. And so t- to teach me, show me I'm open to things. And over time, things can, you can have just as great of a commitment to the Lord years down the road, but still not have the same perception as we did in the very beginning. So that calls for us to be teachable, to be humble, to be open to correction. You know, the scripture says that knowledge puffs up. It doesn't say it can puff up. It says it does puff up. It automatically works against humility in our lives. The more we know, the more we have to be careful about being impressed with what we know. There's so often, you know, we, we look at people that are wanting to serve and so forth. And one of the things that we look for are people that aren't impressed with what they know. That, rec- that they recognize there's so much to learn because as you learn the Bible and as you study it, the more you see how much you don't know. And the people that think they have a corner on, on all the knowledge, that it's, they're a danger because they're not teachable. Their perception has become dull and that's why we have to be very, very careful because things can creep in. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, our perspective can change over time. And we're allowing things to come into our hearts and our minds and we're compromising. And before we know it, our minds are totally different than what they used to be. They're not being renewed by the Holy Spirit with the washing and the regeneration of the word. But they're coming skeptical. They're looking at God's word. Yeah, I could believe it or not believe it. You know, it, it's, it's up to me to decide whether or not I believe that or not. And God's saying, the word of God judges you. You don't judge the word of God. And so our hearts can become hard. And before you know it, our lives are unrecognizable. And, and we're so far away from where God would have us be. I know it in my own life. The scary thing is we can get there and not even know it. That's why pride is so dangerous. That's why we have to be so open to people speaking into our lives. Because before we know it, we're saying, you know, I, I don't have any need of anybody telling me anything and then we're a disaster waiting to happen. We're a train wreck waiting to happen. We become dull of hearing. It's a process. It's not just you wake up one morning and you hear the and, 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 you wake up and you, you turn it off the, the alarm or you hit snooze and you wake up, you know, 10 minutes later, whatever. And you just say, you know what? I'm just completely dull of hearing. That just, that's an instantaneous thing. It just happened. It doesn't happen. You just, it's a process. It creeps in. That's why it's so dangerous. That's why drifting is so dangerous, because before you know it, you're, you're, you're totally unrecognizable, but you are lulled into sleep, kind of like the proverbial frog that's thrown into that, that boiling uh, or the, the, the cold water, the pot of cold water, and then over time, they slowly turn up the heat. Before you know it, it's dead because it didn't sense the change. That's kind of the enemy's tactics, tactic in our lives. It's unwise to measure a teaching based on new information. Is there something that I'm learning new here? Because if I'm not learning something new that I've never heard before, I'm going to reject it. That's a deception. And God wants us to to increase in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are supposed to learn doctrine. That's part of what God has for us. But that's something entirely different than allowing God's word to measure things, uh, measure our lives against it. And, and, and say, how am I living right now? Because the reason why Peter talks about always having someone uh, available past his time of ministry to remind those recipients of that letter that he would always have someone in place to, to remind them of these things after he's gone off the scene is because not just that they might, might forget, but also because at that given moment they might not be obeying those things. Because earlier they may have. But at any given time, we, not be, we may not be obeying those things. And so we need to be reminded. I need to not just look for new info. I need to ask, am I obeying what this says at any given moment? It's about my ability to receive it in order to let it do its full work in my life. And its full work has to do with obedience and bringing those things before the Lord and, and having him bless those things remember Jesus gave this whole illustration of a wise man who built his house upon a rock or another man that built his life or his house upon sand and he said the man who not just hears my words but obeys them is the one that builds his house upon a rock but what we do is this crazy thing is we measure our spiritual maturity based on what we know instead of what we're doing and God cares a lot about how much we know I'm not minimizing that but he cares about what we're doing and how we're obeying and how we're bearing fruit. He talks all kinds of ways in the New Testament about bearing fruit and, and being a difference in this world, not just learning knowledge. The Greeks were concerned about knowledge. The Hebrew culture was about doing and experiencing. You hadn't learned something until you had experienced it in many ways in the Jewish mind. And the, but the Greeks were kind of in their heads. And we've kind of carried that over into our way of thinking in the church. Very important. Now notice in verse 12, we're told God has expectations of our level of growth. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now I want to call your attention to the three words by this time there at the beginning of verse 12. By this time. Time had gone by. Events had happened. They were uh, not brand new Christians that just had, you know, recently been born again. They had. We're told in the book elsewhere that they'd already experienced persecution and so forth. They they had walked with the Lord for a while, and and what we see in this verse is that God had expectations for their lives, related to their fruitfulness, and related to him using their lives. And that's why he says that phrase there, by this time you ought to be teachers. We can do this another goofy thing in our minds. Not only can we assess our spiritual growth by what we know and not what we're doing, but we can also think that God has kind of left it to us to decide how far we're going to grow. And that's, that's a deception as well. God has not given you and I that decision to decide how far we're going to grow and how far he's going to use our lives. We can't think, well, I'm kind of comfortable where I'm at. I like what I'm doing for the Lord. I'm serving him. I'm being faithful and all these things. And now I'm pretty much satisfied. And so I'm not going to be going any further related to allowing him to stretch me in certain areas of service. That's a deception because he hasn't given us that luxury, so to speak because he has different plans. He has so much greater plans for our lives than we do because we can get complacent and comfortable. And he says, I don't want you to think about following me in the way that you may think because I have specific plans for your life. He's overseeing our, our walk and he's leading our lives somewhere. When we take up our cross daily and follow him, that leads us into his will for that day. And as we commune with him throughout the day, that leads us in his will for the rest of the day. Then the next day we do it again. And, it, and where that end up, ends up going related to what he has us doing among his people and in this world is completely up to him. We don't get to decide what, what, what all that looks like. I never would have ever thought in a million years I'd be doing what I'm doing now. Ever. But he had greater plans for my life. And it doesn't, you don't have to be called to be a leader to, to not be allowing him to, let, to bring you where he wants you to be and where he wants you to serve because there's no part of the body of Christ that's more valuable than another. It's all equal. It's all equally valuable. We're told that he oversees our faith in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, a very familiar verse, where he says, being confident in this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus is doing a work in us, and it's a good work. He defines it as good, and he gets to decide how far we progress, and he gets to decide how he's going to use our lives. And what we do sometimes is we think, I can't picture myself doing this particular thing. I could never see myself doing that. Well, Moses would have said that. Joshua would have said it. How many people in scripture would say, I could never picture myself doing that. But they didn't limit God. They obeyed his voice and they followed what God had revealed to them and they were good stewards of that revelation. They had that perception. And when God spoke to, to them, they obeyed what he said to do. And it, they, they found themselves in places they would thought they would never find themselves. That's the great adventure of the Christian life is that it's a, an adventure where he leads us in all these different places. And so he says, You should be teachers by now. I think we should have a lot more teachers in the body of Christ. I think we should. Official roles as a teacher, I think that should be definitely increasing among us. And we're all for that. We don't we're not trying to keep the the small number of teachers and in our family here. As many teachers as the Holy Spirit wants to have in our fellowship, that's what we want. And, and so that includes women, that includes men. There's all different ways that you can teach the word of God. And that's another thing I wanted to point out about the, that verse is that it's not just talking about an official teaching role. He expects all of us to be speaking the word of God. Did you know he says, if any man speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. We're all called to be teachers. We're all called to dispense spiritual truth at very strategic times in one another's lives. We all have something to say related to God's word. We all know how it works in our lives. We all know how he's spoken to us. And we can teach the word of God, not just to our children, of course, not just to our spouse, but among one another. To say, you know, I, I have a verse that the Lord's laid on my heart for you. And this is what I believe it's saying to you. And you're teaching the word of God in that way. You're giving application. It's kind of a way that you can uh, be an extension of God. But we all have to be receptive to that because we can harden our hearts and we could say, no, I don't receive that. We have to be open to it. So I think when he says that we should all, by this time, you ought to be teachers, he's, it's more broad of an application than just official teaching roles. Although, like I said, I think that that should be increasing among us. So we're all called to teach. Now he says at the end of this, in the, at the end of verse 12, you have become, come to need milk and not solid Food, and he continues it in verse thirteen, where he says, "For everyone who partake, who partakes only, notice the word only, only of milk, is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, because they have become dull of, of of hearing, and because they were spiritually sluggish, it affects what they could spiritually consume." And they could only handle spiritual milk, not spiritual solid food. And he gives the, the assessment of them, by the Spirit, that they were spiritual babes. Babies are cute, aren't they? I love babies. I love baby dedications. I love holding babies. Everybody loves them. And they're cute, and they're supposed to be cute. And they're, but there's a difference between that and a person that's 18 or 19, who's wearing the same things that a baby does still on a bottle, still has a binky, still has to be burped. That's a picture I don't even want to think about. Uh, But, you know, it would be scary to find a 30-year-old in a crib with a full beard, you know, sucking their thumb. That would be tragic, and we laugh, but spiritually speaking, people can be 30 years old in the Lord and be a spiritual babe. Having had elementary principles deposited in their lives by the Spirit when they first came to know Him, but they'd become dull over time. And, and it's a very sad assessment that God makes of these believers. We're supposed to feed on spiritual milk when it's appropriate. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, he says this, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. But there comes a point where you're supposed to be able to eat solid food. And notice he gives the the benefit of solid food in verse 14. He says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, by those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, this full age... Is speaking of maturity. That's what he's saying. When you're a full age, you, you, you're mature enough to do whatever you're supposed to be doing at that age level. I mean, you, when you're 18, you have the capacity now to vote and to go into the military and all these things and go to prison and, uh, you know, all these things that you get, you get to be able to be a part of. And it's appropriate when you're full of full age that you're at that level, and he's talking about those that are, this is how we become spiritually tuned in. This is how we properly, uh, 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 properly are able to uh, perceive spiritual things, whether it be directly by God's word or through other people or circumstances. To be able to see how God is working circumstances out and speaking to us through those things by the Spirit is very valuable. We don't just look at circumstances alone, but it's the Spirit himself speaking to our spirit saying, look, can't you see how I'm lining all these things up? Look at the common thread through all of it. That's me. We need to be able to see that. So it speaks of maturity. And Then he says, but notice, by reason of use, and that speaks of experience. Mature believers have experienced the effect of the Word of God in their lives having its full expression and the purpose that God intended it for in their lives by sound doctrine. They've had their senses exercised there. And in the verse there, when it says exercise, it's the word gymnasium. And when you're, when you're a gymnast, now I'm obviously not a gymnast, never have been a gymnast. Uh, When you're a gymnast, you're in good shape. You're, you work hard. And the reason why you're in good shape is because you've worked hard. You've had a regimen. You've been disciplined. To, to do those things, and you've worked out your body. Those that, that work out and are bodybuilders, they have a very specific regimen and training. I remember hearing about Michael Phelps and what he would do and how many calories he would eat every day and how he would get up at 5 a.m. for years and years and years and years. And so there's so many things that we can do in this world that has to do with discipline. And God says, I want you to be disciplined about being spiritually perceptive. I want you to do that by allowing the word of God to have its full place in your life to where you read something. And it's not just for head knowledge, but it's, it's actually communing with me and saying, Lord, am I doing this? Am I obeying this right now? And then when he highlights something, he puts his finger, so to speak, on something in my life. I don't take a long time to repent of that and make changes. That's, that's a, a, a new believer. How fast do they make changes most of the time when God's showing them this? They're saying, Hey, guess what? you're in their new believers class and you're helping them and everything They're like God told me i enough supposed to go 100 on the freeway and you're like oh great there's signs for that too I don't know if you saw that but you don't have to have a revelation from God but that's good and you're encouraging them and then they come to you and say hey God told me that I, I shouldn't pass up these people that are homeless and they you know I'm, I'm supposed to talk to them about the Lord and try to help them and that's great or I need to stop doing this particular thing and they many times when it's a new believer they make quick changes And for us, over time, one of the things, and these Hebrew believers were in this category, over time, there gets to be a longer and longer time in between the Lord highlighting something that we need to change and the time that we actually repent and confess that to him and make things right and possibly make restitution. The distance between that time is getting longer and longer and longer, and you're in danger. If you're in that category today, you're in danger the distance should be very it should be getting smaller and smaller and be very close when he speaks to us. We we'll repent right away. Sorry, Lord, I'm sorry for that. I confess. You know, uh, you know, help me to not do that next time. And you have a soft, pliable heart that he can speak to at any moment. And you make changes on a dime, so to speak. That's what it's talking about. Having their senses exercised to discern both good and evil, because it the, related to teachability as our spirits are pliable and our hearts are pliable, then he can redirect us and we're receiving further revelation. Do you know that, as I've said this many times, revelation is such a privilege. And we're told in Scripture, as we are good stewards of revelation, he gives us more revelation. He said that he would manifest himself to us and make his home with, with us. And so as we obey, he gives us more. And so he entrusts us with more and more and more. And that means more fruitfulness. He never blesses people to the point where they can't be fruitful. He blesses us in helping us to be uh, fruitful for him. So we have to be teachable. We have to have our hearts pliable. And the result is increased discernment. That's how you can judge between good and evil. You're sensing what's true and what's not true. Babies put anything and everything in their mouths. You ever notice that? And sometimes you're not fast enough. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. And it's already it's already in their mouth. Germs are already going, you know, into task with that, or washing their mouths out. And say, you know, how could you possibly put that in your mouth? When I was a kid, I ate a lot of dog food behind the scenes. I, I, it's true. I and mean, you're like, maybe that explains why you talk about scooby doo going in different directions connected by his tail or, or many other issues. I don't know. But I used to eat dog food. I used to sneak. And eat that puppy chow or whatever it is, and and, and it was it was because I could because I was not told not to I guess I don't know why, and it, I being in the garage chewing on that stuff you know I had no discernment I don't know if Sandy ever knew that before now but uh, <laughs> I had no discernment about what I should be eating, but babies are like that they're just put disgusting gross things in their mouth and you and, and because they have no discernment. They don't know what's good for them. They don't know what's bad for them. They don't know what they should be putting in their mouths, and that's how it is spiritually for spiritual babies. They put anything in their mouth. They take anything in spiritually. They're on. They're. They're. You know, we don't call it the clicker anymore, but um, you know, the remote. You know, you're there and you're going through, and you see something on TV, and someone's up there with their Bible, and they're teaching something, some leader, and they're like, wow, you know, I didn't know there were nine to the Trinity. That's cool. You know, I didn't know that. I've been so limited at church. They've been telling me there's just three in the Godhead. I didn't know there was nine, you know, or wow, salvation is for, you know, everybody can, can come their own way and they can, you know, God understands when people are sincere in different religions and, you know, all this stuff. I mean, it just gets worse and worse and worse. We have no idea. We're a spiritual babe putting things in our mouth. We just have a remote control on want the other hand. And and so that could be teaching, that could be the radio, that could be what people say, friends, relatives, we're just believing stuff. But what God wants for us is to be able to be so trained, exercised, having our senses trained by the word of God, that we know that that's not true and we reject it. That's why new believers are thrown off so easily by the enemy. Ever notice that? Been a part of a new believers class and they're coming in and they're upset about something that 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 is clearly not biblical and they, you know, and you show them the verse and they're like, oh, I feel so much better. Thank you for showing me that, you know, something so basic. Well, now you've just taken something out of the enemy's arsenal to mess with them about. Another fiery dart has been eliminated as a possibility. But we think because we know a lot about the Lord, he doesn't want to continue those things because we get content with what we've experienced and what we know. and We think that God doesn't want to bring us any further and he does. If you're here today and you've walked with the Lord 40 years, 50 years with him, are you being stretched? Are you being stretched in him using you? Are you being stretched in what you know? Are you being stretched with your character, your tongue, your motives, your, the things that you say? Because if you're not being stretched, then you're not growing to the extent to which God would have you grow. And I'm, I'm talking to myself too. Every week when I'm preparing, I'm getting worked over by the Lord. I mean, I'm tapping out left and right. Okay, got, you got me. You know, he's just working on me through his word because his word is so amazing. And so that increased discernment is so valuable. These believers had no idea what kind of danger they were in. They were coming up on a, a, like the edge of the Niagara Falls and they were thinking they were in like a big pool you know, they're not going anywhere and they're totally safe. But God knew because of his word that they were. We're going over that edge, but their hearts were not pliable. Their hearts were not discerning, and they couldn't figure out whether or not they were in danger or not. And so this writer is trying to say, You're in danger, you're in danger, you're in danger. So we need to be uh, sensitive to that as well. Now he closes the section, and obviously these chapters aren't inspired. He's continuing on his point. Now he closes with this whole issue of their dullness of hearing and lack of progression with these last. The first three verses of chapter 6, look with me there. He says, verse 1 of chapter 6, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits So he says, Let us go on to perfection. Let us go on. That means to be complete. He he knows we're never going to be perfect in this world. But but completion is a whole other thing. Maturity is a whole other matter. And he says, Let us go on. And the word leaving there at the beginning of verse 1 there is in a tense that means once and for all, it's not a continuous tense. It's saying, let us leave once and for all the discussion of elementary principles in Christ and let us go on to maturity or perfection there, not laying, notice, again, the foundation of repentance from dead works. And he goes on and lists these things that were foundational that they learned when they were new believers. So he's saying, don't do that. Let's let's leave once and for all. Can we just leave the new believers class? (laughs) That's what he's trying to say. Can we just leave this stuff? And let's go on there. The New Believers class, Christian Foundation class is wonderful when you're supposed to be in there, but not when you're 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, growing in our walk. We need to know God's word and experience God's word. We need to be growing in every part of knowing His word and experiencing God's word. So I guess the question for all of us today is where are we at with our spiritual perception? Are we teachable? Can someone come to us and say, and remember, when people say hard things to us, they pay a big price to do it. We should make that very easy for them to come and say things because they love us and they care about us. We need to be open and be, be teachable and humble. Do we have that? Do we have a, a heart that's pliable and soft before the Lord? Well, we're saying, Lord, you speak to me through any circumstance, any, any person that comes to me, whether they mean it for good or bad or have bad motivations, whatever you want to speak to me. My situation, help me to see the common thread through all of it, my circumstances. Help me to believe your word and, and, and allow you to build my life upon your word. That can happen, but it, we have to be warned. This is a process of, of danger where we go through and get more and more dull over time. It, it calls for us to repent and say, God, I'm your child. You can bring me into maturity however you choose to. Whatever you want me to do, I'll, I'll do. I'll be busy about your business by your grace and by your power, but speak to me. Show me by your spirit where I should be serving, what, what I should be doing, how I should be blessing other people that are in my sphere of influence. Help me to have that time and guard that time with you each day of communing with you and reading your word and not just reading it, but worshiping you as I, as I read your word and uh, asking you to speak to me through the passage. And, and when a person does that, they start functioning in the, in the way that God intended us to function. They start growing exponentially. And, and that's, I've seen that in many of you. When you first came here, you're hurting. You're go- you have gone through a lot of, 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 of heartache in many different contexts. And you've submitted your lives to God's word. And, and God is bearing fruit through your life as a result of it. Keep going. I want to encourage you. Because if you feel like, you know, I am perceptive. I am... He does speak to me, and I, most of the time, not perfectly, but most of the time, I hear that voice and I make those changes. God wants to encourage you to to keep going that direction. It's just going to get better and better and better, but also be willing to encourage others where you see that they're struggling in that, to be willing to help them and encourage them, because all of us are connected. In our culture, we think that we're individuals who happen to be part of a larger whole, the body of Christ, but God's word says, biblically, we're a larger whole spiritually who happen to be individual members. God's emphasis is on the whole related to the body of Christ. And so we we, we are interconnected. When one part of us suffers, the rest suffer. We don't think that sometimes. We think it doesn't affect anybody. It affects everybody when we suffer. Very important for us to see that. God wants our lives to be a beautiful trophy of his grace. He wants to use us far beyond anything we could ever dream of. I think there's more people in the body of Christ that limit what God wants to do far more than the opposite. They, they, instead of getting ahead of him and, and going too fast, they limit What if we were humble before Him and said, "Lord, my life is Your own. I mean, is is your my life is Yours? Take my life and make it into." And they're totally submitted to whatever He wants to say to them in every environment where God could possibly speak to them. What my expectation is for myself and for all of us is that we would be unrecognizable next month, next uh, year, as He stretches us and uses us. So many of you have stepped out in faith and started serving in ways you never thought possible. And we've just looked and just said, wow, amazing what, what God's done in your life. That's, that's an example for us. You've been an example for us to step out and do those very same things, those unique things that he has individually for all of us. So God wants to encourage us today to go forward and follow hard after him. And whatever he speaks to us about, we need to obey with that, what he says for us to do. And then he'll receive the glory that he wants. Let's pray together. Lord, we... Humble ourselves before you. Encourage your people today, Lord, that you are so patient and you're so loving and gracious with us. Make us into the people you want us to be, God. Help us to be the most perceptive people related to your spiritual truth, no matter what form it takes that we can possibly be. Help us all to be teachable and humble, to recognize when you're speaking in contexts that we would never imagine you would speak in. Help us to learn from you. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, Lord. You could do so much more than we could ever ask or think. And I pray for anyone here that's limited what you want to do in their life. I pray that you'd encourage them that you can do great things, that every one of your servants have had a lack of confidence in their own ability, but you have compensated so that you get the glory. Thank you, Lord, that you use us foolish things in this world to confound the wise. Thank you, Lord, that we being babes, as far as this world's concerned, and ignorant as far as this world's concerned, you have revealed supernatural revelation to us and given us so many things that are hidden from this world that we get to know about all the time and have a working knowledge of regularly, Thank you for the privilege of revelation. Help us all to be sensitive to it and thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen.